0: Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast, I'm your host, Andrew Petiprin. In each episode, we bring you in-depth conversations with Catholic authors, focusing on the most important cultural and ecclesiastical matters of our age. For the past 40 years, Ignatius Press has been the leader in Catholic publishing, with a wide variety of media, of authors and titles, old and new. We invite you to learn more about us and explore our extensive offerings at Ignatius.com. If you like what we do here on the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, follow us on social media, and please consider giving us a five-star review. We pray that this podcast will inspire you as you grow in your faith. Now, on with the show. In 1979, Pope John Paul II published his first apostolic exhortation, and the subject was teaching the faith of Christ and the Church. Called Catechesi Tridende, the document set the tone for a now four decades long re examination of how to pass on the sacred, immutable teachings of the Catholic Church from one generation to the next. Carrying forward the call to evangelize issued by Pope Paul VI, John Paul II wrote, I ardently desire that this apostolic exhortation to the whole Church should strengthen the solidity of the faith and of Christian living, should give fresh vigor to the initiatives in hand, should stimulate creativity with the required vigilance, and should help to spread among the communities the joy of bringing the mystery of Christ to the world. To make disciples, one must first become a disciple. And one tool produced by the pontificate of John Paul II, designed to buttress the ancient structure of timeless church teaching in a changing world, was the Catechism of the Catholic Church, promulgated in 1992. Once issued, the question soon arose, how do we use it? For years now, different individuals, dioceses, apostolates, and companies throughout the world have sought to create curricula and other resources to ensure the handing on of the fullness of Catholic truth. There have been many praiseworthy successes, but some flops. There has been some collaboration, but much siloed labor. All the while, the number of young people leaving the faith or indeed, never having been exposed to the faith at all, continues to rise. The fastest growing religious group in the United States is now no religion, and even an alarming number of adult Catholics are ignorant or in denial of the Church's basic teachings on matters as fundamental as baptism and the Eucharist. As people of hope, Christians must fight off despair at these numbers, working harder and working better. Perhaps most importantly, working together. To this end, Ignatius Press and the Augustine Institute have forged a partnership to create a new pre-K to 8th grade multimedia faith formation curriculum called Word of Life. Its slogan is simple but powerful, Build Strong Catholics. The building project of Word of Life rests on four pillars—salvation history, Christian anthropology, heroic virtue and character formation, and learning through discipleship. To discuss Word of Life, I am joined today by Mark Brumley, president of Ignatius Press. Mark describes himself as a double convert, having been unchurched as a child in St. Louis, before becoming an evangelical Christian, and an extremely anti-Catholic one to boot, before making an about-face and coming into full communion with the Catholic Church. Mark credits years of reading the Church Fathers, Frank Sheed, G.K. Chesterton, Louis Bouyer, and many others. Prior to joining Ignatius Press in 1995, Mark worked at Catholic Answers, and at the Diocese of San Diego. Mark is the author of The Seven Deadly Sins of Apologetics, Avoiding Common Pitfalls When Explaining and Defending the Faith, as well as many other publications. It is my pleasure to welcome Mark to the podcast now. Mark Brumley, welcome to the Ignatius Press podcast. How are you? I'm great, Andrew. Great to be with you. Great to be with you. Great to see you face-to-face, although our, our audience will only hear our voices, but very nice to have fellowship here uh, almost in person. Today, Mark, we are talking uh, at the end of the summer, and therefore it's the time when the new school year is about to start or has already started, new program years for our churches are about to get going. And so we thought it would be fitting to talk about the Word of Life curriculum, which is a, a joint- Venture between Ignatius press and the augustine institute it's a a great new um, resource for catechizing and evangelizing young people. Could you tell us mark, how the partnership came about and and what are kind of your in in your mind the goals of the project okay how the partnership came about well for many years uh we at
1: Ignatius press hit, uh have been monitoring the situation you might say with respect to catechesis we recognize that there are you know programs and catechists and parishes and schools and so on that are doing a great job and they follow kind of a traditional approach to catechesis one that's exemplified let's say in our faith and life series which is you know very traditional catechesis and people that are pretty much know what they're doing, solid student base. They're doing fine with that faith and life series. But we recognize that partly as a result of really uh, malfeasance, if you will, that's the harsh way of putting it, but maybe not so harsh uh, as a result of a bad understanding or misunderstanding of the second Vatican council And catechesis after the council, there were many, many people, including people that were trained to be catechists, who did not really understand what the church's understanding of catechesis was, uh, but they were open, uh, open to it, eager. Remember, we only got the catechism of the Catholic Church in the early 1990s, and it really didn't start penetrating into catechesis in the United States until about a decade later. So we had a whole group of people that were formed as catechists and even people that were raised in the church that were not well catechized, but they still wanted to be Catholic and live the life of the church. And they were put in charge of programs and all this kind of stuff. So there's a real struggle there. And again, at Ignatius Press, we noticed that. uh, And that was about the time when uh, John Paul II and then Benedict and now Pope Francis started stressing really what has come to be called. An evangelizing catechesis. So you're teaching the doctrine of the faith and the practices of the faith and so on, but you're doing it not just simply as a matter of learning content, but you're actually trying to evangelize. So we we began to see there's this huge need for this, and the bishops of the United States began to see huge need for it. So there's a stress on it. So we began to think, well, um, how can we complement or add to what we're already doing in catechesis, we need a new series to do that. We really need to work with catechists to develop a series that's aimed at this, uh, fostering and evangelizing catechesis. We had a good relationship with the August Institute. We partnered on a number of projects together and uh, in conversations with Tim Gray, the president of Augustine Institute, it became clear that they were looking to do something too. So we said, why not just do this together? So that's kind of a big you know, long-winded answer to your question of how the partnership uh, on this project started. You know, uh, Augustine Institute is really well known for its biblical resources and also its video productions to Augustine Institute, Augustine Studios. And we wanted to have those components as part of the educational program, catechetical
0: program for Word of Life, and so it made sense. You know, it seems to me too, Mark, that. You know, there are a lot of individuals, there are a lot of dioceses, parishes, companies, apostolates, there are all these different different individuals and groups who are trying to tackle the the question of catechesis in different ways. And and maybe sometimes this work is a little bit too siloed. Mm-hmm. And so it's encouraging to see a partnership, you know, that that there are different organizations coming together to try and achieve achieve, uh, the same goals. Did you find, um, in the process, or I guess it's an ongoing process that the, the Ignatius press side and the Augustine side, you know, that you're, 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 know, you're, you're sort of all working together that, you know, you're, you're doing what you do best to, to put this out. I just love to hear a little more about the process.
1: Sure. Well, um, yeah, so we had teams working together, the really word of life team, which had, People from Ignatius and people from Augustine Institute, people that came in that were sort of from neither that were hired by the Word of Life folks. So it was a very, um, uh, what, uh, united, I guess you could say, uh, group of people uh, working together on that. I mean, this inspiration, uh, you, you mentioned silos and, then, and of course, the other aspect of it is there's sometimes there's competition mm-hmm. um, and the competition can be good, it can be bad. it depends on how it's done i I give talks on competition in communion, you know, so the theology of competing and yet being in communion uh, and that kind of comes out of Father Fessio's philosophy. He's fiercely competitively collaborative. <laughs> mm, so we have all kinds of collaborations with different groups. We've done that over the years. Even their Faith in Life series is a collaboration with Catholics United for the Faith, um, and we, we've been involved with Formed, we, we, with the Augustine Institute. Uh, we years and years did things with Bethlehem Books, and, and we have quite a number of other groups that we collaborate with. Uh, we try to work together with. So that's really the the attitude, and that's the spirit behind Word of Life. So we're trying to bring our strengths, and hopefully. Overcome our weaknesses and working together,
0: yeah, you know when i uh, when I had a, a tutorial with uh, the Augustine Institute people, they sort of walked me through certain parts of the curriculum, and one of the things that kind of kept coming up was that that the goal it seemed to me was creating a great product, was creating something that would meet the needs of um, schools, parishes all over the place um, and that would have multimedia components and print components that would work in a school that would work by with catechists in a parish who only see the kids once a week or whatever, which seemed to me quite a feat because, you know, if you're creating a resource that is meant for people with master's degrees in theology, who are going to teach kids, Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday or whatever at school—that's one thing. Um, But when you've got, you know, just a mom who's like reluctantly stepped up because nobody else would take the, you know, the fourth grade uh, faith formation class—I mean, that seems like that would be a totally different thing. And yet, my my evaluation of the resources is they really do work for both settings. Is that is that your take?
1: Right. Yeah. So, and of course, that's what we were aiming for. Um, We're trying to have something that can be used in schools by professional teachers, usually subject matter teachers with credentials in that area. Uh, That's not always the case, by the way, in Catholic schools, but but often that's the case. So we wanted something that would work for them. But at the same time, recognizing that, you know, much, if not most of the catechesis, school age catechesis in the country is being done by people who don't have the same kind of subject matter expertise as a a Catholic school teacher has. And so you got to have stuff for them so that they can actually, uh, you know, provide good solid catechesis for kids without, you know, how am I going to give, give all these teachers master's degrees or something like that? So that's what we did. And we design it's designed that way. So we have the school version, the parish version. It's not uncommon in, Cate- cate- catechesis that you have two versions of it. But we made a point of being able of providing material for the parish catechists that that don't require super duper levels of expertise. Of course we want we want them to grow in the faith. They want to grow in the faith. Their parishes and their dioceses want them to all grow in the faith in order to be good catechistic kids. But we have to deal with the reality of the situation that they're in. And and so that's a process for them and we're not assuming that they're at the at the high end or the far end of the process they may well be at the very beginning so we want to we want to be able to help them
0: yeah and i think that comes through in the materials that they really um uh they they stand a good chance actually of of helping the teachers grow in their faith as well and the parents by the way which i think is right. another that was another goal of the project wasn't it
1: yes yeah, so again Parents are the primary educators of their children, which means they're the primary evangelists and the primary catechists of their children. They usually collaborate with the parish and with the school in that. So, you know, some responsibility for the heavy lifting is often transferred. But that doesn't change the fact that it's the faith of the family. It's not just the individual kid or, you know, uh, the catechist. It's a shared faith. So we want to make sure parents feel like they're growing in their faith and that they are equipped to pass on the faith to their children.
0: Yeah. You know, it reminds me just as a brief aside, Mark, when I was an, a, a Protestant pastor, an Anglican pastor, I, every once in a while I would do a, a children's sermon or some kind of children's message. And inevitably it was those messages right. that the parents would come up to me and say, I never thought about that before. That's, right. That's incredible. <laughs> like they never compliment me on the, on the real sermons, but it was the, <laughs> the children's ones. So it just, that was on my mind as I was thinking about these resources that are going home to the parents. And of course they won't have thought about a lot of these things that are being taught to their children and so what a wonderful thing that they can engage with them too
1: well and that yeah and and of course that's part of what we're trying to do with word of life a similar experience we had years ago with UCAT which is the youth catechism of the catholic church where you know it's aimed at middle school kids and high school age kids and all that Um, and yet we were getting uh, letters and emails and comments from parents and adults who are saying, I love this. I, I mm-hmm. This is much more accessible to me than the catechism of the Catholic Church is. So yeah. one of our good friends who's actually Stanford educated said that he benefited from reading UCAT more than he did from reading the catechism. And we wanted a similar experience with Word of Life. We want parents to feel like not only do they know what their kids are being taught, but they're actually able to grow in
0: their own faith through the parish or the school's use of Word of Life. Let's talk then, Mark, about what they are being taught, um, because the, um, the curriculum rests on four pillars. Um, the pillars are salvation history, Christian anthropology, heroic virtue and character formation, and then finally learning through discipleship. Um, could you just explain what the what was the rationale behind those four pillars, or you know what what's what's behind the the choice to to present the faith kind of resting on those four issues?
1: Well, I think the idea of salvation history being fundamental to evangelizing catechesis really comes from well it comes from the history of the church, but in its most recent articulation is probably the Second Vatican councils. Uh, Constitution Divine Revelation, the idea that God has revealed himself fully to us in Jesus Christ, but that there's a story to that. There's a backstory in, in salvation history in the Old Testament. Obviously there are the gospels. There's the, new, the rest of the New Testament. And that's really the central narrative, if you will. It's the interpretive framework uh, that Christianity brings to bear in making sense of the world. Uh, so creation, fall, and promise, and redemption. Uh, This is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I want to make sure that kids understand that story and they see the story of their lives as part of that big narrative, that salvation history story, that Jesus, that God created them, that they are people in need of Finding relationship with God and overcoming sin and selfishness and coming to, you know, growth and maturity and, through knowing the Lord and and being part of the church. And all of this is the business of salvation history. So that's that's why that was one of the key pillars with respect to um, Christian anthropology. That's a mouthful. People you say that to people say, what world is that? You know, to boil it down, it means we're made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, We have been affected by sin, but redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we grow in spiritual transformation and holiness uh, through the word of God, the sacraments uh, of the church and the life of the church. And so knowing who we are as people made in God's image, Male and female. Okay, that's an important issue nowadays. People are contesting even that basic understanding of what it means to be human. So we want to make sure that everybody understands the dignity of the human person from conception to natural death, that that dignity is bound up with us being God's image. So that means we are like God and made for God, and that we are made male and female. These are fundamental realities. Two equal, but fundamentally different ways of being human. Uh, and all of that has been uh, redeemed and transformed by, by by the Lord. So in the form, you know, we have the sacrament of holy matrimony, which expresses that in, in the Christian order of things, but even just basically the order of marriage this uh, is fundamental. So all those issues that touch on what it means to be a human being are covered under that rubric of christian anthropology anthropology is a fancy way of talking about the study of of human beings and a human person and then the third pillar that you mentioned has to do with heroic virtue and of course virtue in the christian context means uh, the life of holiness and faith hope and charity what we call the theological virtues because they come from god and they orient to us to participation in the divine life of grace in three important dimensions, uh, but also the other virtues which are involved in the Christian life. We, we sometimes refer to the human virtues. Those virtues are taken up uh, because through our relationship with Jesus Christ and transformed. And really, they are at the core of what it means to live good human lives. Uh, we, we commonly talk about good habits, the good habits of choice. Uh, And for Christians, the good habits of choice involve our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. So what we believe, what we trust in, what we love, we should say who we believe, God, who we trust in, God, who we love, God, faith, hope, and charity. And then all the virtues, including especially uh, the cardinal virtues. Those are all things that are fundamental to any kind of decent human life, but especially the Christian life and then last the last thing that you mentioned has to do with learning through discipleship and of course um discipleship is following Jesus so really the learning through discipleship means the kind of learning that comes by doing not just learning about uh, but doing and what's the doing well the doing is the following of Christ so we so we emphasize the taking up you know, we take, emphasize the denial of yourself, following Jesus by taking up his cross. So we follow him by taking up his cross, which is this gift of self to the Lord. And, uh, and when we give ourselves to the Lord, he gives himself to us and we get transformed and fulfilled and completed in life. And, and so discipleship in that sense is very, very practical and concrete. And as I say, it's not just. It's not just knowing that, it's knowing how, how to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. There's also an element of leadership there. And I sometimes when I'm talking about this part of the Word of Life series, because parents rightly want their kids to be leaders, right? Everybody says, well, I want my kids to acquire leadership skills. What, what are the leadership skills for a Christian? Well, to lead is to serve, and to serve is to be a disciple. So how did Jesus lead? Well, he led not by... Uh, being served, but by serving and giving his life as a ransom for the many. Well, how do we lead? Well, we we reign or we share in Christ's kingly office by serving. And so discipleship models proper leadership. And therefore, kids learn to be good leaders, uh, obviously in their parish, in their family, in the Christian life, but more generally in society by um, Learning to be servants. So that's the fourth pillar. I spent a little time talking about these, but I kind of wanted to give people a, a a fulsome vision of what we're doing with the Word of Life.
0: Well, and I think you said it right—a fulsome vision. That really—that's what comes across to me. That this is not just an opportunity to so-called get sacraments or something like you sometimes hear parents say they, you know, they they need their kid to get their sacraments. And and obviously, we want to. Um, you, we want this curriculum to be used to prepare children for their first communion. And, you know, and so it, it's used in that, in that service. But obviously it's a much bigger vision than that. It's about creating disciples who then can be evangelists, right? It's about a, a human formation, which I, I have to say is something that is not easy to package as a, you know, as a, as a curriculum. But I think I think um, Ignatius and the Augustine Institute have done a really manful job uh, doing so with with this one. And maybe that that could be a good bridge for us to talk about just the nuts and bolts. Like what what is it? Is it books? Is it is it uh, is it computer? Is it video? Walk us through kind of what the different tools are that are at the, the disposal of the catechists who use this program.
1: So I would say first and foremost it's relationship between the catechist and those to be catechized and the textbooks whether you're talking about the student text or the teacher's manual those elements are resources in service of this relationship of catechist to those being catechized so that's the first point so yes there are print books there's also um Online digital resources, which include, you know, online sources for the students in terms of activities and things of that sort related to the text for the teacher, uh, for the parents. And there are also video activities and video resources where, you know, the lessons of a particular grade level uh, or particular chapter in the grade level are reinforced or opened up to the student through a little video. Uh, So there's video instruction reinforcement of of the content in that way. Of course, catechists and parents and other people can just use the print books if they like. It's not like essential that all of the video elements be used, but nevertheless, they're very engaging uh, elements. I want to mention something in this regard. Uh, Immediately following the Second Vatican Council, there was a kind of reaction. This was in the early 70s there was kind of a reaction against what was perceived as an overly kind of intellectual or cognitive approach to catechesis where it was thought, you know, people memorized a lot of doctrine and they did the kind of Q and a Baltimore catechism. And they, you know, and then the idea was, well, that's all really in the head. What we want is we want to retouch the heart. And so there was a movement away from teaching doctrine uh in catechesis that try to emphasize what's called the affective domain you know the domain of experience and emotions and feelings and so on uh, but we found that that was deficient in a lot of ways people were not learning the faith and what's more they were they might have wonderful experiences in religion class but they weren't necessarily uh, experiences of encounter with jesus you know uh they 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 were oftentimes human experiences of of closeness or whatever warmth which is not bad but that's not the same as you know coming to know uh the lord and being in an active relationship as i say the personal relationship with the lord and so the catechism of the catholic church came out in part to address this and catechesis was was improved in the country and Faith and life, I mentioned that before, was part of the process of shoring up the instruction of doctrine. Word of life comes along now, and it it's the beneficiary of that. We certainly want to make sure that the doctrine is there and people actually understand the doctrine, the content of the faith, but we don't want to think that it's reducible to that. So this experiential dimension, where it's not just the experience of of human emotion, as fine as that is, but really um, an opening up to God. The idea of one of the things that we have in the catechetical series, Word of Life, is we have Lexio Divina, where people are taught to hear the Word of God and to have an interior response of faith to what they hear. And then to move from beyond that, to the content of the lesson and actually experiencing implementing it you know in their lives. So, I I'm stressing this because I I really think it's important that we understand that we need solid, faithful, and I'm going to use the hard word orthodox catholic doctrine, but it's not just about the doctrine, it's also about making sure that people experience, perceive, encounter the lord in receiving the doctrine and it's not just that they have sort of a subjective experience but that they then in turn are able to understand how to live to actually be disciples of jesus and then the fourth step is that they actually then learn how to make disciples of other people so all of this i didn't mean to derail your question but i really uh, wanted to make sure that we got the whole sort of the panoply of 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 the movement of what's going on with word of life here so yeah and, and I, the the digital platform <laughs> is part of uh part of that process
0: yeah i want to talk more about the digital stuff but i i your your mention of lexio divina piqued my interest a little bit and it was something that i was thinking about as i was looking at the resources i was impressed that that was that that was in there but i was also pleased that it that it went hand in hand with actually learning as you kicked off with the story of salvation history, learning like what the Bible is and what it means that you're a part of that story, not because it's like, you know, just an entertaining story, but because it's true. you know? And so, I mean, what good is doing Lexio Divina if you don't have like a decent understanding of what scripture is? It really, and, and sadly, I think that sometimes happens or has happened in the past where it's like, oh, there's this great tool, like imagine yourself in this Bible story. And then it's like, well, that's fine. But you know, what does that mean ultimately? What, what is the Bible? What is the Bible then? Um, so it seems like word of life is really, um, so comprehensive in, in, as you say, I, I think it's very impressive. And, in combining the kind of the head stuff and the heart stuff like how is the truth true for you i mean something can be as true as i mean can be absolutely true but there if you're not on you know in in the state of heart or state of mind to accept it then it's not it's not going to make any difference right um
1: if this grand story of salvation history is not a story where you can see yourself and you're part in it that you're part of it that god did this for you and for me and and not just for out there and for these bible figures or the great saints but for us as well that's that's really really important the kids come away with with a sense of
0: that um so yeah let's talk a little more about the about the digital resources so you mentioned before the the uh the uh, um, augustine institute studio so they they have quite a Quite a state of the art operation there, which I, I understand is is really putting out really important material that is uh, that's used as a part of this curriculum. Can you tell us more about about that end of the of the uh, process?
1: Yeah, so they have first rate filmmakers, and people are probably familiar with some of their uh, faith formation videos. You know, like the Symbolon series that's used in a lot of uh, OCIA now programs, and uh, some of the series like the series on Suffering and and uh, the um, the search and some of these popular parish oriented uh, catechetical and evangelizing elements. So now we have presence. We're in the year of uh, we're in the period of time of Eucharistic revival, and and they have this outstanding video series called Presence, which focuses on the Eucharist. All these kinds of things show that you know the AI is skilled in in video production. So you know we've we've been involved or the AI studios and have been involved with the video production on this. And there's some other elements of video production in the the series as well. So um, it's, again, the idea is to engage kids, not to engage in dumbing down, not to engage in a sense of distraction or entertaining or amusing. Not that there's anything wrong with being entertained or amused, but we want to engage. We want them to have content and we want them to have, um, um, I, as I say sometimes say spiritual skin in the game that this is about them yeah uh, and their lives and their fulfillment and happiness so
0: yeah i appreciated it too that it seemed to it seemed to meet the need of the child as the child matures as well you know the lower level materials have very you know the kinds of things that that little kids like, you know, it had like interactive coloring things and, uh, you know, things that would play little songs or whatever, you know, and then it sort of moves up with the, uh, with the grade level, which I thought was good. I also thought Mark that, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of tough to produce, um, video materials that don't immediately look a little bit out of date. Right. I mean, it's kind of amazing how quickly that happens. But I, I'm, ca- I'm cautiously optimistic with with this series that they, right. there is a kind of. Um, I think the way that they've been produced is really, uh, is really going to last at least a little while.
1: Yeah, to the extent we can, we want to want to have that. Uh, when things do come across dated, or as we learn things and improve, we want to have the ability to add. And of course, a
0: digital platform lets you do that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about the books themselves. Um, so you're, you know, so you, you run a publishing house and obviously a, a great, uh, you have a great, uh, you know, storehouse there of, of knowledge and expertise and, and, uh, and experience in producing printed resources. How, how much of that went into what you, what you're putting out as part of word of life here? I mean, you know, your, your team presumably, you know, um, worked very hard in compiling things. And, and uh, just tell us more about that.
1: Well, uh, it's true. And the two of the key people involved uh, from the Ignatius team, uh, Diane Erickson, Julie Johnson are themselves master catechists. They've been involved in catechizing kids for, for a long time. Um, They also are experts from the faith and life world. Uh, so they are experts not just in using Faith and Life, but they were also involved in not in the original writing of Faith and Life. That was before their time, but you know the enrichment of Faith and Life over the years and the development of teacher resources for Faith and Life. So they brought experience as catechists and as curriculum developers to bear, and they put together a team of writers and working with people from the Augustine Institute and some other folks that we identified, and, and they just did an outstanding job of bringing together the written content the lesson content they worked with some of the artists uh from the augustine institute to put together full four color as they say full color print books um that are doctrinally solid the uh, uh correct <laughs> and that are good pedagogy that is to say they use the, the techniques of teaching very, very well. So uh, I have to give it to them. And Lucas Policy from the Augusta Institute, who's actually also a former student of mine, was involved with with the development of the K through five series with Diane and Julie Johnson. And then we've got another group of people involved with the development of six through eight um, middle school. Uh, it's a little bit different approach in six through eight. Uh, we for six, seven, eighth grade we start the first unit uh is a whole book of the new testament so with regret with, with respect to grade six it's the gospel of matthew uh with respect to grade seven it's the gospel of mark and then we get church history in grade eight and so we start off with what well the first history of the church book the book of acts mm-hmm. so that's you can see there's a maturing and a little bit of different approach there uh, for those years now of course the rest of the i said it's the first unit is the biblical book The rest of the books in those grades, you know, obviously go beyond just the biblical text, although even there, we're going to say there's a great deal of emphasis on the uh, biblical text. So K through five uh, and then six through eight, we have middle school, we have uh, K through five and then we have middle school with a a kind of maturing of approach uh, that kind of follows Father Fessio likens it to, you know, the the old uh, trivium of grammar, logic, rhetoric. So you start with the basics of of the language of the faith, which is grammar. And then you start thinking more and more about helping kids think through the content of the faith, uh, which is uh, logic. And then you get to uh, the rhetoric part of it where you're helping them to learn how to express the faith themselves and to evangelize others. So there's a kind of classical curriculum element of that all
0: done in a very contemporary way that's fascinating i hadn't thought about that before but now that you mention it it really lines up doesn't it it yeah and and i think too that's something that's that people are looking for now um that you know classical education is 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 becoming more popular and so i think for catechesis it's it's fitting to tap into that a little bit as well and maybe um to segue then to my next question, what has the response been? What has the kind of take up been? Um, are a lot of churches and, and schools and um, organizations um, responding well? I'm I'm curious to to see how it's being received. Out of the gate, it's been
1: tremendous. Uh, I, I I couldn't I couldn't expect a better response from schools and parishes uh, around the country. Of course, a lot of parishes, you know, they're always cautious because something new, and how's this going to meet with our educational objectives, and all of that. And you know, of course, we're working with the U.S. Bishops Committee on the Catechism with their program, a new way of developing catechetical resources, which they call the Accompaniment Model. So we're con- we're very confident that our our uh, catechetical program is going to fit with sort of the institutional church in that way, but the parishes and schools that that are using Word of Life are loving it. And we're getting really lots of positive feedback. And we, we made the point. We've had two conferences now uh with uh early adopters as they say and we've made the point that we really regard them as partners in this project. So uh we want to hear the good and we want to hear the bad and, we, <laughs> and the ugly. If we the things we need to improve Things we need to do better on, we want to hear about that. And there are some things that people have communicated, but far and away, they've this has been very well received. They're starting to see results, even you know just after uh, a year's use. Uh, feedback has been very positive.
0: And you said before, obviously, you're not producing this to. Uh, well, you didn't put it in so many words, but you're not producing Word of Life to put other companies out of business necessarily. Yeah. But I mean, are you finding that there are, you know, there are parishes and schools that are that are reevaluating their their choices that they've made in the past and thinking, you know, this really does seem to answer our need better than resources we've tried before.
1: Yes, definitely. Again, we're not. You know, it's not like we're trying to trash anybody's program. We're just trying to offer. A vision of catechesis that we think is most consistent, both with what with the church's tradition and what the needs are of people today, and and so uh, thus far the response has been extremely positive to that.
0: Wonderful, Mark. In the time that remains, I wonder if we could maybe broaden the aperture a little more. Again, I I, I enjoyed the. Um, you know the the references you've already made to the Second Vatican Council and to kind of the, the where we are as a church with regard to the the question of catechesis and evangelization and that sort of thing. You know, uh, as you know very well, my my old boss Bishop Robert Barron uh, talks a lot about the the dumbing down of the faith being yes. uh, being uh, a real tragedy that has is one of the problems I think uh, that the church faces to be sure, but a very significant one. Um, so i 'd just love to get your take as a you know as a man of theology and and uh, somebody who 's got his finger on the pulse of of the church today and deeply rooted in the second vatican council and and all of that um, what 's your vision then for for catechesis and and you know how does it how how is this playing out in your mind as you 're thinking ahead for for these and future resources
1: right so uh, my so my vision for catechesis is really what I think is the vision of the Second Vatican Council that's been articulated, you now Paul VI, John Paul II, especially in Catechesi Tridendi, John Paul II, uh, Benedict XVI, and now Pope Francis, uh, they've all said we need an evangelizing catechesis that's faithful to the church's teaching, that reflects, uh, uh, that fosters a real encounter with the person of Christ and living out the faith in the church, so it's not just head, it's not just heart, but it's a combination of those things. I would add an element. We're talking about, obviously, K-8 through catechesis for kids now, but that's foundational, and it reflects what's needed, really, for catechesis in some ways for every level. We talk a lot about synodality nowadays, and by that, I think people at least people who have their head on straight understand that to mean a kind of co-responsibility according to our particular vocations uh, in the church for the life and mission of the church. That's really what synodality isn't supposed to be. Okay. In order for that to be what we're about, we have to have faith and we have to be formed in the faith. We talk about, the fact that the Holy Spirit is work, working in the life of even the simplest of believers, to be sure. But uh that the Holy Spirit doesn't want to stop there. And it's not like the church is only for people who have advanced degrees in theology. Nobody's saying that. But we are saying is everyone is called to grow in the knowledge of God. And that includes the knowledge of what God has revealed about himself in relation to us, we call that revelation or the word of God. That includes the knowledge of God that comes through worship. So the mass and the sacraments, the knowledge of God that comes through the life of the community of faith, which is the church and the leadership of the church and the light and, and the knowledge of God that comes through our encounter with other people out in the world, including an encounter that, that involves uh, ordering the world according to the law of God. So all of this is the vision of the Second Vatican Council, but it it requires an openness, a disposition of faith, on the part of the simplest of believers, and an, and a willingness to grow to grow closer to God and go deeper and deeper in our knowledge and practice of of, of the Catholic faith. So yeah, I mean, a Bishop Barron hit hit right on the nail. I mean, hit the nail right on the on its head. When he talked about the fact that there's been a dumbing down of the faith, we we want people to be more responsible, more participatory in the life and mission of the church. And yet we don't we somehow don't expect that that entails a going deeper mm-hmm. and an understanding of what God has told us about himself and about ourselves in relation to him. You know, that's kind of that's kind of crazy, you know, and he, I know Bishop Barron famously gives the example of, you know, we have these AP courses in literature and history and all this kind of stuff, and yet we, we so often have in the past, it's changing now, thanks to the catechism and thanks to many bishops taking seriously the gift of the catechism, but we have in the past really dumbed down, watered down the presentation of the faith, and we can't expect... The people of God to live well the evangelical mission of the Church if we don't uh equip them, and that's mm-hmm. what Paul was about in the New Testament. that's what the Church has been about throughout history, and that's certainly what the Second Vatican Council has called us to do in in our present time. so Word of life is sort of foundational for that work at the k through eight level. There are other resources that are developed and being developed for high school and college age and so on, including, as I mentioned before, uh, UCAT. Uh, but you know, we're living at a time of a great, I think a great Renaissance and explosion of Catholic resources, you know, Ignatius press. We want to be part of that. Augustine Institute's part of that. I think of, you know, Ascension press, I think on word on fire, uh, 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 uh some of the things that saint paul center is doing and some of these i i feel bad that i'm not mentioning everybody but you know, there's so many great resources available this is not the time to start talking as if this is too much or this mm-hmm. is not appropriate um you know this is not the time and frank Sheed has this great story he used to tell frank Sheed, the great catholic publisher and writer and street teacher used to say when he would give talks and things like the Trinity, you know, his re- people would say, well, we don't really need this. You know, the the little lady or little man uh, praying his rosary is, is you know, holier than you with all your theology. And she would say, well, that's true. but uh, But of course, if someone is really holy, they want to know more about God, not less. They're not satisfied with knowing what they know. And what they know may be very little. And they may get a lot of light from a very, they get a lot of holiness from very little light, but think of all the more holiness they would get from, from more light. It, it would be in his famous Sheed's line, she's famous line, it would be a strange God who could be loved better by being known less. Mm-hmm. So the more we know about God, the more reasons we have to love God. So yes, absolutely. Uh, we need to be moving away from the dumbing down to the smartening up. Uh, but also, obviously, smartening up is not enough. We need people to grow in the the whole life of the of the church,
0: which includes, at its core, obviously, growth in the life of charity. Amen. We have been discussing Word of Life, a joint venture of Ignatius Press and the Augustan Institute. Please, listeners, give it a serious look for your parish and or school. You can check it out at wordoflifeseries.org. Mark Brumley, thank you for joining me to talk about this important resource today.
1: Thank you. And thank you, Andrew, for all the good work you do
0: on the podcast. This episode has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. Please visit us at ignatius.com follow us on social media, and be sure to rate and review this podcast. Until next time, I'm Andrew Pettiprin. God bless.